Welcome back to Seminary and Casual Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Eric Tamnia, and I'm the producer of Seminary and Casual Podcast. And I'm pleased to announce that this episode is a special episode. Uh, we are partnering with CatholicPhilly.com, the online news source for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Uh, and I'm joined here today in the studio by Seminarian Matthew Kuna from the Diocese of Allentown. He is the editor-in-chief of Seminary and Casual Blog here at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary. And I'm also pleased to welcome to the show Gina Christian, the producer of the CatholicPhilly.com podcast and online news source. And today, uh, our guest on this show is Father Mike Schmitz from Bulldog Catholic Media and Ascension Press. We're privileged to have him at our seminary. He's giving a lecture for the Cardinal Foley Chair of Communications which will be focusing on social media and the new evangelization. Uh, so welcome to the show, Father. Welcome, Gina, and welcome, Matthew. Thanks, Eric. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, Gina, why don't you begin with your question coming from the perspective of a news outlet and, and social media there? Digital media. So, Father, your evangelization efforts through social media have reached literally millions of souls, and many Catholics are drawn to the work that you're doing now, in your experience, what has been most effective in reaching out to fallen away Catholics and those who don't affiliate with any religion? That's a good question. Um, the, so a lot of these, a lot of my answers, I think, today might be like, huh, I never thought of that. Let me, <laughs> let, me think of, good let me think of that really quickly and give you a good answer, or at least what I can come up with right now. I, um, one of the things, I, I like the fact that um, there's a non-threatening uh, element to having a... a a video on YouTube or having a podcast where uh, a person gets to elect and they get to self-select and they get to say, here's what I want to expose myself to. Here's what I don't want to expose myself to. And so especially someone who's fallen away um, that has questions. So I've had many experiences. The, my favorite are are when someone's in town. So I live in Duluth, Minnesota. And um, some of my favorite experiences I happened a couple of years ago. I was at uh, a gym where I work out and uh, one of the gals in the class afterwards, she came up, she said, she just walks up. She's like, um... Ascension Presents? <laughs> like, hi. She's like, you're Father Mike. I was like, yeah. She's like, I was just, it was just Ash Wednesday. And I was, um, I was raised Catholic, but I really haven't done a lot in my faith recently. And I was just looking, what should I do for Lent? And I looked, I'm like, wait a second. I work out with that guy. And it was, it was so good. It, it reintroduced it. She was a great example of someone who had been fallen away. Not because of any um, anger or any kind of uh, bad experience, but just kind of like, I don't know. I'm kind of ho-hum through my relationship with God and my, with the church. And that kind of launched her into this whole, like learning more and coming to mass and being more consistent in this. And, and also provided an opportunity for us to have like those in-person conversations. And so that's been super helpful. And I think, um, the piece there is that in the moment that she was asking the question, there was a resource available to her. And that's the, that's one of the key, mo, keyest, I was going to say the keyest thing, <laughs> the most keyest thing is um, for the people who are falling away or unaffiliated is what is that moment in their life when, they, when all of a sudden it matters to them, but where do they turn? Because if you, I mean, I just think sometimes if someone were to show up at our local Catholic parish, any, any of them at any time of, I mean, at a Sunday mass or on a Tuesday morning or whenever, would there be someone who is there to be able to answer the question they have or to be able to give them what they're looking for at that moment? Um, and maybe it is. Maybe a lot of parishes have that ability. I don't know if that's true. But if we can provide content that is accessible 24 hours a day to anyone who's asking this particular question, I think that that, um, that's, that, that seems to be pretty effective. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you guys think? Well, so it's, it's funny. Um, 
I didn't think about it until you said it now, but uh, I was discerning with um, the CFRs and the Franciscans during my time in college seminary. And while I was kind of reading up on them online, I, I came across um, a, a news article which talked about cyber discerning, which is kind of like the new interim step yeah, which takes place in people's that. discernment journeys yeah. prior to actually reaching out to the organization. Yeah, because there's, there's that threatened, that threatening thing of yeah. like, okay, do I talk to the person? Do I have to go to meet them? And like, what do I, I don't have any answers yet. I don't right. even know what my questions are. It's safe. It's yeah. safe. You yeah. know, like there, there's a comfort. They don't have to leave. They don't have to leave their house. Yeah. Um, and, and yet they can still learn all of this important information which they're trying oh, to yeah. use to kind of evaluate and make their decisions. Um, so it, it actually corresponds really well. I, I, uh, that's like a that's a really neat thing. Well, also now the, you bring that up, I, I keep thinking about. Um, so when I was uh, in high school, is when I had my first kind of initial conversion experience to the Lord to the church. Um, and I remember, I remember not having anyone I could turn to, and it wasn't like there was nobody in my town that followed Jesus. You know, I could have turned to my parents, I could have turned to my priest. Um, there were people who were volunteering at the parish who you know helped out with the religious ed. That I'm sure they were super faithful, and but I didn't feel comfortable asking, like you know, that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. And so I just turned to books and that was my resource. It was was kind of books on saints and books on like teachings of the church and whatnot. Um, it would have been incredible to be able to have like an a like online mentor, uh, we, whether that person knew that I was their, they were ment their mentee or, or not, <laughs> just be able to turn to someone and say, okay, I trust this individual for whatever reason. And I think they have answers to the questions that I'm asking. So yeah, that's really... I like that. Now, I wanted to follow up, and I, I hate to use the term devil's advocate here, but I talked to a vocation director, and she talked about the cyber discernment, but she had found that some of the young women she was working with were actually overwhelmed by information oh, yeah. Yeah. at some point. So could you talk a little bit about the danger of when do you stop with the cyber discerning and get face-to-face? -face? I remember uh, speaking with some women religious about that as well, because for guys, I think a lot of times, if they're not discerning a religious community, they're probably discerning diocesan priesthood, and that's always going to be there's a person to talk to or there's a couple people to talk to um there's a place to go um you don't have a thousand options and when you go online look at religious communities it's wow there's every flavor that you could possibly <laughs> want and at some point you have to pull the trigger at some point you have to go visit it has to be in person um so yeah absolutely i i would completely agree with that because um at some point you do have to bring someone else in it has to be um not just cyber discernment but like Incarnational discernment or whatever. Have you found that uh, any of your videos are particularly effective um, topically with with non-affiliated or with fallen away Catholics than certain other topics? Is there like a, a common theme? Like a gateway? Yeah. <laughs> there are. I think there are some. There are some that uh, that seem to be kind of like life lesson type. Oh, sure. So, I mean, there was one on when's your bedtime? Uh, that yes. became kind of popular. And I was like, that's really interesting. But you have moms sharing it with their kids in like kind of this non-threatening way, their kids who had fallen away, like, you know, listen to this priest. <laughs> oh, but sometimes there were things, even like the Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner, that, that whole transgender video um, only, made one, only made one about that. But it, it was more along the lines of here is a worldview way of approaching this, not a biblical way of approaching this or a specifically speaking Catholic way of approaching this. And there were a number of people who would respond and say, I'm not Catholic. I don't even believe in God or whatever the thing is. Um, but this makes sense. Yeah. And wow. so I think when there's an opportunity to just kind of, um, yeah, make sense, that, 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 that seems to be what is most immediately accessible to those who have fallen away or those who would be unaffiliated. 
And then the question is like, okay, so what's this guy all about? Or what's this channel all about? What's this church all about? And then that's the the awesome, like, I will get, and, and, gosh, I wish I could share some of these with you. Um, emails almost every day, if not for sure a couple every week of people saying like, I was raised Catholic and then fell away, or I was raised atheist, or I was raised Hindu. And I stumbled across these videos and now I'm an RCIA, or I just was received into the church last weekend. And I want to let you know that that was really helpful for me. Um, Praise God. Yeah. So, so good. And just, yeah, that's pretty amazing. But also there's the collaborative effort of the Catholic church though, because uh, you can't go through RCIA by watching Essential Presents videos, <laughs> you have to actually show up to a parish and have people there who are willing to like meet this person wherever they're at yeah. and say, okay, let's let's keep moving forward. And um, so it, it really um, emphasizes to me the that it's even even though there's a video element to it where I'm the person in the video, that there's no sense of like lone rangerness in that. It's like, no, if they're gonna really go with this, if they're gonna, it's gonna really transform their lives at some point. There's another brother priest who's going to be involved. At some point, there's going to be a whole parish that's involved. There's going to be individual men and women families who are involved in their lives if it's going to go anywhere. And yeah. uh, so it just r reminds me very, very clearly of the need for each other and not just like, oh, here's a video. Yeah, no. It's like, it's like uh, opportunities for encounter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it provides the, the impetus, the drive to reach out to someone else about that. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the places that a lot of us through our apostolate experiences and through field education have had those encounters have been while working in campus Newman centers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just celebrated Cardinal Newman's canonization and the 125th anniversary of Newman centers being established throughout our country. The very first one, in fact, was here in Philadelphia. It was at the University of Pennsylvania. That's awesome. Um, yeah. They just had a great celebration earlier um, this school year. Uh, in your experience as a Newman Center chaplain, what have you found to be the most effective strategies for reaching college students, but in particular, those one-on-one -on -one encounters of helping walk with people in the faith? Um, yeah, what should Newman Centers be doing and what works, what doesn't? Yeah, well, so we have a really, uh, I was assigned to um, our Newman Center in 2005. So I've been there for a while. Um, and when I got there, they had, um, it was it was me. And I, I'll split my time. I'm assigned to the I'm the director of youth ministry as well as the chaplain on campus. And there was another person who was part-time uh, Newman and part-time campus min or youth ministry as well. And so that's what's been. That's our staff. And it's very, very small. We don't have a chapel. We don't have – we have a garage, two-car garage that we transformed into a daily mass chapel. Every <laughs> Sunday we set up uh, for mass in one of the ballrooms. Park it, it here. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it, it's – and we haven't been able to grow in the sense that we haven't been able to build just because our diocese has been through a number of things. That's all hopefully changing. But the the thing I wanted to emphasize was, like when I got to campus, A, I didn't have any experience. I was ordained for two years at that point. I was ordained in 03, and I got there in 05. And um, secondly, we didn't have any resources. Like there was no facility. There was no, no sense of um, uh, benefactors or having people who are like, yeah, we donate to UMD Newman. Like, What's UMD Newman? <laughs> um, we even had students who had no idea that, oh, there's Catholics on campus, kind of a thing. Oh, man. So like, okay, that's where we're starting from. We have a little house right off campus, um, and we have daily mass in the entryway, essentially, what amounted to the entryway. And so I said, okay, what do we do? I have no idea. Well, I know we need three things. And so 
I know that for people who encounter the Lord a lot of times in the busyness of life, that's going to be difficult. So we need to emphasize like really incredible retreats. So we decided, okay, these are the retreats throughout the course of the year where students can get away. These different ones appeal to different students and we're going to have that and we're going to do them as, as best we can. Secondly is we're going to be um, sacramental in that sense that um, with daily mass and daily confessions, um, we'll have adoration every morning. And uh, that's going to be something we, we consistently offer to our students. Um, and thirdly, we're going to be I, <laughs> we're going to be authentically Catholic in that sense of just like um, not necessarily like an in-your-face brash kind of a thing, but just like no, I mean, what we do is Catholic, and we don't need to um, overemphasize. We don't need to um, uh, underemphasize. We don't need to water anything down. It was just those kind of three elements that we decided. Sorry, when I say we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> and and it was remarkable how even just the that sacramental presence transformed things. So, as an example, uh, up until I got there. There was one mass on Sunday, and there was one mass during the week on a Thursday night. And um, the mass on Sunday had, I don't know, maybe 40 students or so. We had about 14,000 on our campus, about 40 students or so on the Sunday mass. And then that daily mass had about between 6 and 10 would come, and then the priest would uh, cook them a meal. Now, it wasn't his necessarily his fault. He had five other jobs, you know, in our diocese. And so the bishop at the time, now he's the Archbishop of Cincinnati, Archbishop Dennis Schnur, um, he was like, nope, Father Mike, you're going to be there. That's your your one gig, more or less, other than the youth ministry thing. Just by having consistent mass, um, that that uh, mass went from, you know, six on a Thursday to like 120 on a Thursday. Wow. So it, it's it's remarkable uh, just to be present and just to have that on campus. So first thing I would say, again, uh, opportunity to pray, uh, go away, opportunity to have a sacramental life, and then authentic teaching. Sorry, I meant to be clear, clearer. Um, small groups was a big thing, a big oh. thing. Oh, big man. ding. A big ding there was the small group. <laughs> was a big thing. We wanted to have opportunities for students to come together. And then when we got focused about four years later, um, that was everything just it was even even better because um it basically I, I multiplied myself by four and we had so many these young adults, these you know guys and girls going out on campus and doing the things that I couldn't do because uh, there's just one of me. Now, to drill down a little bit on the youth that you work with, do you find that there are cultural differences where certain approaches work with you know, certain groups? And for example, I have a lot of friends who are Latino. Mm -hmm. And because of the strong rootedness of Catholicism among Latino communities and the family support, it's easier for those first, second, third generations to kind of stay cohesive in their faith. Do you find that different approaches or? That's a great question. Um, we are the one diocese in Minnesota that doesn't have an Hispanic ministry because we don't have a lot of Hispanic people in our diocese. Um, every other diocese, there's I think six of them in our state, um, have a powerful, a, pre a clear presence of Hispanic uh, folks, and we don't. So um, I don't know. Uh, we're pretty vanilla. And <laughs> but I will say though, when it comes to um, generations, like so, I've been doing this uh, thing called Tobit Theology of the Body Immersion for Teens uh, retreat. We've been doing it. Uh, as a diocese for maybe the last, gosh, I don't know, seven years, we'll say, eight years. And my best friend and I, Nick Davidson, we co-present on Theology of the Body. And then we do it all as well for our college students. We, so we have a weekend for the high school students and a one-day seminar for our college students that's coming up this, this upcoming Saturday. And this year uh, was one of the first times I recognized that the content and even the way we uh, communicate the content was not hitting in the way that it had even last year or the year before. I, it's just a small example. It has very little to do with theology of the body, but it has to do with like the changing dynamic of um, iGen, even from millennials, and um, and just kind of a different sensitivity. So Nick is a really funny guy. And at one point he tells this story. We're talking about how to 
we define love, willing the good of the other, right? So I take willing, he takes the good, I take the other. And so he's talking <laughs> about the good and um, we making the point that we don't always want what's good for ourselves and we don't even want what's good, for, yeah, we don't always want the good, even for ourselves. And he tells this story about when he was uh, living with his wife in the island of Do Dominica, she was going to medical school, and he's like, there was no McDonald's on the entire island. He has this whole story. It's really funny. Um, so finally, I had the chance to go here to Tobit because we flew him up from Dominica the one year that he was in. She was in med school. And he's like, I got to San Juan. And right off, off, off out of the gate in San Juan, there's a McDonald's. I saw the Golden Archers. It was beautiful. It was incredible. <laughs> and I took that turn. I walked up to the front and I ordered a triple-triple or something like this. I don't know what they have. A triple-double well, with a large Coke, supersize it kind of a thing. And he says, I sat down and I ate it. And I got up, went up to the counter and said, I want to triple, triple or triple, double again, supersize it and ate the second thing. And then I immediately fell asleep on the wrapper. Like for an hour, I was passed out in the airport. <laughs> like my bags are sprawled out and I woke up and like the, the wrappers actually stuck to my face. This whole kind of thing. So he's making fun of himself, this self-deprecating humor. It's really funny. It get the way he tells it too, this big laugh. The last, last year was kind of like a ha ha ha. This year was kind of almost crickets. Like interesting. This And one of the things I was trying to diagnose, listening to what they would laugh at and what they wouldn't laugh at that they had in the past was whenever there was like even like a a hint that someone was being made fun of it was like well i don't i don't know if we can laugh at this like that even though he was making fun of himself it was kind of like right. i oh no that's sad it's like no 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 this is really funny he was being dumb like <laughs> but there's so trying to really um address what it is and that was just the the, the jokes part like to fill in kind of like to keep them engaged when it came to the theology of the body part, oh my gosh. I mean, the transformation of culture that's happened even in the last four years regarding, like here's this fundamental principle of theology of the body. Um, the body reveals the person, right? So John Paul, um, the body is the only, the body in it alone makes visible the invisible. Um, that to be able to say that is, is uh, shocking right now. It's in, in students, we argue like, no, 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 that's not true. Like, oh my gosh, wow, this is like, Coming on to the, you know, Athens, going to, going to the <laughs> Are Areopagus and just like, this is a, I did not realize this is a controversial statement. Um, so this new approach that we are to keep having to go back and say, okay, how do we get them? Not only on our side. So some of those jokes of deprecating humor don't always work. Okay, <laughs> Roger. And then secondly is um, what are they thinking? What are their presuppositions? And what are their attitudes going into this? Because they're not evil, but at the same time, it's like they've been really shaped by um, the culture around them. Sure. Yeah. What in the culture is really hitting them right now? If you had to just narrow it down to one or two, one or two features. So I don't know if this is accurate, but I'll try. Um, I remember years ago, actually, it was during uh, the, the really strong push for same-sex marriage. Um, and... I had given a number of talks and I did even some debates in on the college campus. And at one point I heard uh, Jason Everett, he had said this and I, it resonated with everything I had experienced. He said that um, whenever he asked high school students or college students, uh, should they redefine marriage? And they say, yes. And he would ask the question, the follow-up question, why? And the answer kept coming back. Like, I, I don't, it just makes me sad. Like the idea was not like there's a reason. It's just, but this whole thing, it just makes me sad to think that there's someone who might love someone who might not be able to marry them. And and that just makes me, so there's not a reason why. And Christian Smith talks about this in his uh, book, I think it's uh, Lost in Transition, where he's examined the moral lives of American adult, uh, young adults. And um, after they did this nationwide survey, 
they concluded that over 60% of American young adults had neither the ability nor the categories to make moral decisions. And he wow. didn't come to that decision, that conclusion lightly. It was a whole team of them It's saying, okay, they, don't have, they have neither the ability nor the categories to make moral decisions. Categories like, well, right and wrong? No. He said basically a lot of their uh, like moral reasoning came down to um, another way of saying, just don't be a jerk. And, yeah. and that was that was kind of it. Just, um, just don't be a jerk. And you can't say something was wrong or something was sin. It was stupid. So it, mm-hmm. it's kind of like these categories of it. And then even how how do you they ask the question? How do you make moral decisions? Not only could sixty percent of them not identify what a moral decision was that they had made in the last six weeks, when they did identify, like, oh, is this this was a moral decision? Like, they were like, actually, that's not even a, that's not a moral decision. Like to recycle or not is not technically <laughs> speaking a moral decision. Yeah. Um, and how did you go about that? Well, it was just a feeling I had. So these are these are some of the the critical things. And so, um, kind of an emotionalism that uh, that I would say is connected. Sorry, I don't want to keep going on and on. No, this is great. Okay, no, one, I find this fascinating. I really do. one last point um, <laughs> is I would say then uh, this comes back in some ways to what we're talking about today and what we're talking about tonight is when it comes to the um, we don't just live. I think in a hyper information age. I think we live in a hyper opinion age. So everyone who has a, a web address, everyone who has a podcast, everyone has a whatever, has an opinion. And you have an ability to express that opinion at any time to any people. And so here's a young person who doesn't have necessarily any frame of reference when it comes to... So here's an example. I'll go back to my own um, undergrad experience in my college. I was a theology major, but not in a seminary. It was just in a, in a Catholic college. And... Um, all we studied basically were the modern or postmodern theologians, like the most recent people who just published a book. And I didn't have any frame of reference. Like I didn't ha- hadn't studied Augustine or Aquinas or any of the people like this is where we're coming from, the patristics. And all I got was the most recent thing. And so I, I couldn't evaluate, was this good theology or bad theology? It's just, here's what I was taught. It's the new theology. And I think in a lot of ways, here's a, a kid, then a young person growing up in this context, and they don't have necessarily any grounding in like, okay, this is true. This is not true. Cause you go online. It's just like, well, it seems like it's just a bunch of opinions. I went to one website that said, um, X is absolutely true. And then I clicked over here and this other website seems as very much convicted. X is absolutely not true. Who do I believe? Well, and then you default to what you default to my relationships. So either who do I know who believes this or who do I know who's experiencing this or who do I know who shared this and said, this is the way to go. Right. And how does, how does opinion X, Y, Z, impact those I care about. Right, yeah. And if it's a negative way, well, then that can't be right. Yeah. Because the good shouldn't hurt people. Because I love that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So relationships still are paramount, right? Um, And yet they can be in some ways detrimental to that pursuit of truth. Thanks so much for listening. That wraps up the first part of our interview with Father Mike Schmitz. If you want to find the second part, you can go to soundcloud.com forward slash Sem Casual Podcast, or you can check out our blog site at semcasual.org, where we have articles and opinion pieces written by seminarians here, and where we host all of our podcast content. Uh, unfortunately, just as a heads up, our website is down temporarily. We hope to have that up in the next couple of days. Um, so I'd, I'd like to encourage you to check back, but uh, all of our archived podcasts are there, uh, along with much, much more. We're currently in the process of renaming the interview segment of Sem Casual Podcast, so if you have any suggestions for names, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us um, any name suggestions that you have to our email at semcasualpodcast at scs.edu. That's S-E-M 
casualpodcast at scs.edu. Uh, and you can send us that along with any feedback you guys have. If you have any suggestions for shows, we'd love to hear them. Any suggestions for people to interview, um, that's always helpful to us. Uh, you can tell us what you liked and what you didn't like, and we'll, we'll do our best to get back to you. Um, we value your guys' listenership and your opinions. So thanks so much. Uh, and until next time, God bless.